Hello, and welcome to Where Am I To Go podcast. Today, before we start the show, I would like to bring up some business things that have kind of been on my mind so that you can know where to get more Where Am I To Go. First off, I'd like to talk about the Facebook page at Where Am I To Go podcast. It's on Facebook, and we've been posting some wonderful pictures of some of the places that we've been and some of the adventures that we've had. Not everything that we go and do is made into a podcast, and so we take pictures at different places and post those pictures so that you guys can enjoy some of the different places we've been. Also, I really am interested in listener feedback. I have an email address at whereamitogopodcast at gmail.com. Again, that is whereamitogopodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear some of the listeners' comments and some of their ideas of places that might be interesting to visit and go and do. Today we are in New Orleans in the French Quarter, and we're at the New Orleans Pharmacy Museum. I was not able to get anybody to do this podcast with me as I did not know that this existed until this morning, and we decided to show up anyway and just see what this place was, what it looked like. And so here we are, and it's just me. I know that uh, this is the first time I've done one of these totally just me going through a museum on a self-guided tour, but this place is way too cool to pass up. It is a historic uh, pharmacy. It was in operation uh, for a lot of years, and it's still in the exact same location. The building that houses the Pharmacy Museum was constructed in 1823 for Louis DeFollow, Jr., America's first licensed pharmacist. In 1816, Louisiana became the first state to require licensing for medical practitioners, including pharmacists, physicians, dentists, and midwives. The building, classified as a Creole townhouse, served as an apothecary and residence for the DeFollow family until 1855. The building changed hands and then was abandoned around the turn of the 20th century because of hurricane damage. The Pharmacy Museum opened in 1950 with donated collections, most from local apothecaries and Loyola University. Original to the site is a stone floor made of Belgium slate that was commonly used as a ship's ballast. On display in the DeFulio family exhibit case are artifacts that were excavated in a privy dig conducted in the left rear corner of the courtyard in 1988. So that gives kind of a history of, of what this is. As you walk in, they've got an old soda fountain from around 1855 that's made of rose and black Italian marble. It is a beautiful piece. It's got a mirror on it. It's got several of the old containers with uh, ginger, mint, julep, and uh, the old spouts coming out the top for mixing the sodas. And then they've got cases uh, from the old pharmacy that ha hold all of the different medicines and concoctions, maybe even a little snake oil. 
We've got ammoniated mercury. We've got miracrex. We've got uh, some bezoars. This is really cool. A bezoar is a lightweight mass of calcified hair, plant matter, and other ingestible material that forms in the stomachs of ruminants like cows, goats, and sheep. For centuries, these stony con- uh, cretions were believed to act as an antidote to all manner of poisons. The original bezoars were identified by Persian goat herders. The word bezoar is Persian for antidote. Whether for fear of contaminated food sources, skepticism of medical treatment, or for protection against intentional poisoning, a certain reality for the monarchy. Water-containing bezoars would be consumed before or after possible exposure. So they've got a couple of those in here, stomach balls. That's pretty interesting. They've got vaporizers. They've got so many different uh, medicines for cough and colds, uh, tons of different bottles, cough syrups, uh, cough elixirs. They've got analgesics. They've got pain balms, children's treatments. And they're all in the original containers with the original labeling. Uh, A lot of them are in original boxes. I don't even know where they could find all of this stuff. There's so much here. They've got uh, uh, several display cases with just lots of different uh, artifacts, some cosmetics, and uh, uh, surgery tools. They've got an old stethoscope. They've got a whole bunch of items that were found, like it said, in a privy in the courtyard. And there's just lots of different glass items. Some of them are broken. Some of them are whole. They've got some different syringes and just lots of different containers that you would find in a, in a pharmacy from the 1800s, early 1900s. They've got some uh, foreign body probes, bullet forceps. They've got some... Uh, nippers, splinter forceps, bone forceps, several different surgical knives that have like little saw blades on them. And just so many cool, cool things. They've got lots of little jars. They've got big jars. They've got like gallon jars full of different uh, treatments. I I can't even read what half of them are because I am not that well versed in the language of medicine. But, uh, yeah, all I do is screw up the, the names if I started saying them. They've got a chloroform mask here that you can uh, put over somebody's nose to uh, knock them out so you can do surgery. A whole display case on anesthesia with ether, uh, wow, cocaine toothache drops. That ought to be a hit. Novocaine, uh, just all kinds of things, different opium delivery methods, vaporizer, a great big uh, pestle and mortar for grinding up these different compounds in order to compound the medicines that they were doing. And then you can go ahead and go on upstairs. It's got a beautiful semi-spiral staircase in here that uh, goes upstairs to where the living quarters were. Alm grinder. Alma is a mineral salt that is composed mainly of sulfate and alumina and sulfate of potassa. Although alm is formed naturally, 
In the earth, in some regions, pharmacists usually created their own alm by subjecting clay to various chemical processes. Alm has an acid, sweetish, astringent taste, according to the 1869 Dispensary of the United States. They've got a couple of nice pieces of machinery here that I'm sure were made for mixing chemicals for healing people. And then we get upstairs and they've got an ultraviolet ray lamp, probably for light therapy. It was popular throughout the early and mid 20th century. Ultraviolet ray lamps were marketed not only as tanning devices, but also as treatment for a variety of ailments. Healing ultraviolet rays were believed to kill bacteria, produce vitamin D, strengthen bones and teeth, and stimulate circulation, boost the immune system, relieve the discomfort of the head colds, sinus pressure, hay fever, bronchitis, and asthma, and alleviate the pain of arthritis and sore muscles. This Suncraft cold quartz ultraviolet ray therapy lamp included a carrying case, goggles, and automatic timer with an optional floor lamp. And this thing's got its original carrying case. They've got it in a glass case. They've got the cash register here. Again, some more uh, big bottles with different uh, chemicals in them. We've got uh, sodium bicarbonate. We've got shell lac. We've got, uh, well, I can't even read all of them, but they are just absolutely cool. They've got a couple of scales, a chair, a physician's chair. Oh, this one here, it's a midwifery and obstetrics in Louisiana. This is an interesting looking chair. It's like a barber chair that uh, has a little metal uh, plate on it where you must set when you're delivering the baby, and it has a hole in it. It says... Throughout history and well into the 20th century, midwives attended the vast majority of births in New Orleans. Rarely, the percentage was even higher. Rurally, the percentage was even higher. Midwives of every ethnic background assisted women of all social classes, most trained through apprenticeship or in Europe, as there were no formal midwifery schools in New Orleans at the time. Louisa began regulating midwives as early as 1822, when they were listed alongside previously regulated physicians and surgeons in the Registre du Committee Medical de la Nouvelle Orleans. Wow, I probably messed that up big time. The penalty for practicing midwifery without a license was 300 livres. Midwives also attended most of the enslaved women of Louisiana, and many midwives were enslaved themselves. Male physicians were only called in for profoundly complicated births. Even then, they often had minimal experience, most of which they acquired assisting in the births of enslaved women. Enslaved midwives had a greater degree of freedom than other enslaved people to travel to neighboring plantations at all hours to occasionally train under physicians and to administer medications. In one work's progress, administration collected narrative Miss Victoria McMullen recalled her midwife grandmother, Miss K. Elmore. In slavery times, my grandma was almost as free as she was in freedom because of her work. 
Wow. They've got this uh, display here with some needles and lots of different uh, influenza cold serobacterian mixed. It's their bacterial vaccines. They've got tuberculin, bacillian, emulsion, tablets, tuberculin for the... Oh, I can't read that. I'm sorry, folks. I'm having a hard time reading some of these words. They're all medical words, and and I'm sure they're Latin, and I'm not Latin uh, fluent. So they've got all kinds of really nicely displayed in old, old cases. Uh, all of these vials and, and bottles. We've got... Uh, the bitter end, the long-lasting legacy of bitters from herbal tonics of cross-cultural significance to patient medicine sold by druggists of all stripes to the arrival of temperature and bitters. Fight to stick around. The how and why of bitters. And I've never known what bitters are, so this is going to be interesting. The relationship between bitter plants and the body is at first one of warning, but if understood and used appropriately, they are an excellent digestive ally. Plant compounds, collectively known as bitters, include iridoids, sesquiterpene, lactones, and alkaloids. These are secondary compounds that serve no nutritional purpose. Instead, they are a plant's line of defense against microbes and herbivores. A bitter taste to most mammals is an indication of toxicity. Our digestive system becomes stimulated as a means of expelling potentially poisonous compounds. This bitter reflex can have beneficial effects such as promoting appetite and strengthening the structure and function of all digestive organs. When the bitter receptors of the tongue are activated, a chain of neural and endocrine, endocrine events begin in the mouth, salivary glands increase their output of enzyme-rich saliva. In the stomach, the gastric hormone gastrin stimulates the secrin of hydrochloric acid. This quickens the breakdown of proteins and enhances the bioavailability of nutrients. The bitter taste starts the self-repair mechanisms of the intestinal wall and increases the production and excretion of bile by the liver and gallbladder, quickening the removal of toxins and waste products. The incorporation of bitter ap into the diet can improve overall digestive health and increase nutrient assimilation into our body. They've got a, a metabulator. I don't know what a metabulator is, but it's in a nice stand, kind of like an old record player or something with a whole bunch of gauges and little bottles and... huh. They just have so many things in here. And these cases, these old cases, are floor to ceiling. Some of them have round glass on the front, uh, mirrors on them. They're just beautiful, uh, the, the workmanship in these glass cases. We come into this room, and they've got different things for your eye. Eye salve, gotta optical. I, it's in a bottle. And it's an eye solution. They've got little eye cups for getting things out of your eye. And they've got eye shades. A common treatment for disease in the 19th century 
was to recommend the sufferer take the air. Fresh air, sunshine, and gentle breezes were considered essential ingredients for recovery from a variety of ailments, including tuberculosis, paralysis, infections, and bodily tra traumas. Taking the airs provided time for the body to heal on its own and served as a psychological boost for the patient. This at a time in which hospitals, sanatoriums, and residences were not exactly an antiseptic havens conductive to recovery. The eye shades were developed to shield the invalid's face and eyes from the rays of the sun. The protective case, like the one you see here, was open to unfold an opaque cloth fan often lavishly decorated with religious symbols, fleur-de-lis, fancy beast vegetation, and other carvings. Eyeshade cases were crafted from brass and gold and featured fans made of fine silk. And this is really an ornate piece of brass that's about 12 inches long, and it had a fan on top. <coughs> They've got glass eyes. How weird is that? The glass eyes were first made in 1832 by German glass blower Ludwig Muller Uri. And a whole bunch of, of little eye surgery tools. Oh, those things look vicious. I don't think I want anybody working on my eye. A wood optometer for uh, measuring with sliding panel of vision test type, a pivoting eye cover, and elastic headband. And then they got a whole collection of old eyeglasses. These are the ones that you see in the really old antique stores, old books that have the round lenses. And they're just, there's a whole case of them. There's probably 40 of them in this case, along with the neck straps and different apparatuses for, for keeping them on your head. We've got another. Oh, this here's ear stuff. They've got ear speculas. They've got uh, mirror reflectors with a headband for looking into your ear, like the doctors did back in the old days. They've got several dental things here with uh, uh, just atomizers and nasal irrigation, antiseptic washes, throat and nose sprays. Just so many cool things. Some old scales. Those scales are, there's several sets here all in cases that uh, display them very nice. They were probably kept in those cases just to, to keep them protected. This is just a, a really, really cool museum. I'm going to take some pictures and have them posted on my Facebook page. They said it was okay to take pictures. The Facebook page is Where Am I to Go Podcast. You can see lots of different pictures from different places we've been, different things that we've done. And we try to keep pictures there since the podcast is all audio. They've got a bunch of bedpans here, female glass urinals. Those are shaped a little bit different than, than uh, a normal urinal. They've got a doctor's case. They've got a potty seat that's like a regular chair with a toilet seat on it. They've got just oh, treatments for sexually transmitted infections, and it's called clap mixture. Huh. They've got uh, just lots of different things. So many different things in here. I think you could look at the different instruments and the different bottles 
and that type of stuff for a very long time. But I've just about run out of words and uh, trying to keep this going. I'm going to go back through and take some pictures and look at this stuff some more. But if you're ever in New Orleans and you're in the French Quarter, you get an opportunity to see the Pharmacy Museum. I would strongly recommend it. It's a very nice museum, very nicely put together, and it's down here in the French Quarter. And New Orleans is just a fun town. So anyway, everybody remember that the world is full of wonder. Get out and explore. See these museums. See the things that are out here to see. A good place to go is go to Atlas Obscura on the website. It'll bring you up all kinds of super cool and interesting places and things that probably most of your friends will never see. And that's how I found this place. There's also a voodoo museum here. I don't know that we're going to be able to make it to that one. But get to, get to New Orleans. And everybody have an absolutely wonder-filled day. All the rolling go. Where am I to go, meet Johnny? Where am I to go? For I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go? Heads out along the topsail yard, that's where you're bound to go, Johnny. Way, hey, hey, all the rolling go. Heads out along the topsail yard, take the topsail. I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go? Oh, where am I to go? Hey, Johnny, where am I to go? Johnny, way, hey, hey. All the rolling go, where am I to go? Hey, Johnny, where am I to go? For I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go? Out along the royal yard, that's where you're bound to go, Johnny. Way, hey, hey, all the rolling go. It's out along the royal yard, the royal fort is still. I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go? Oh, where am I to go, me, Johnny? Where am I to go, Johnny? Way, hey, hey, all the rolling go. Where am I to go, me, Johnny? Where am I to go? I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go? You're bound away around Cape Horn, that's where you're bound to go. Johnny, way, hey, hey, all the rolling go. You're bound away around Cape Horn amongst the ice and snow. Where I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go? Oh, where am I to go, me Johnny? Where am I to go, Johnny? Way, hey, hey, all the rolling go. Where am I to go, me Johnny? Where am I to go? For I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go? Oh, where am I to go, me Johnny? Where am I to go, Johnny? Way, hey, hey, all the rolling go. Where am I to go, me Johnny? Where am I to go? I'm a young and a sailor.